Now today, I want to read to us from John's Gospel, the 10th chapter, and uh, I want to read from verses 10 through 18. And this is what, uh, this is what we read. Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd, for this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. And this charge I received from my Father. All right. Let's pray together. Lord, as we return to the 10th chapter of John's Gospel, and this figure of speech, the good shepherd that Jesus used, I would ask you to... Uh, Make the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Well, uh, as uh, you know, this past week and a half or so, Gordon Bell and I were traveling internationally. And while it's never a wise thing to uh, count our chickens before they hatch, um, I would like to share with you this morning what I think we really are witnessing which is the formation of an international coalition of deeply committed Christians for the purpose of launching a Christian television station to reach Pakistan, to launch a station in Pakistan for Pakistanis and by Pakistanis. And if you ask the question, why would this matter? Why would this really matter? The answer is because a television station that focuses on the positive message of who Jesus is, what Christians are really like, and how Christians live, will truly be news to the vast majority of people in Pakistan. The effects will be remarkable, we believe. The church in Pakistan will be built up with good teaching, instruction, and role models that are needed. This will also confer legitimacy on Christians in the eyes of the overwhelmingly Muslim majority population. This will open hearts to Christ. And this can bring, can be a catalyst to bring isolated believers together. If God uses Pac-7, in Pakistan, the way he's using Sat-7 in Iran, a Christian channel can help launch and fuel an underground movement of house churches. I want to just put Pakistan in perspective uh, for you for a minute. This is a nation of 204 million people by the latest 
Testament. Well, how many is that? England has 53 million people. France has 66 million people. Germany has 83 million people. There are as many people in Pakistan as there are in England, France, and Germany combined. Or if you think of the Middle East going from, going from east to west, next to Pakistan is Afghanistan with 35 million people. Next to Afghanistan is Iran with 80 million people. Next to Iran is Iraq with 37 million people. Next to Iraq is Syria with 18 million people. Next to Syria is Lebanon with 6 million people. The number of people in Pakistan is 30 million greater than the total number of people from all those countries. It is a huge, huge nation. And the number of people in Pakistan who are identified as Christians is about one and a half percent, half Protestant and half Catholic. And we're told that a significant number in the Christian population are nominally Christians. But there is in Pakistan a rising generation of skilled, tested, energetic Christian leaders who are determined to bring reforms to the churches in Pakistan and to strengthen the Christian witness to the entire population to strengthen the testimony of the church to the Muslim majority. And a growing number of these young leaders, and I'm talking about people in their 30s and early 40s, a growing number of these young leaders are part of the international coalition. And as you learn about more of these leaders and are identified and we're approaching them, they're responding very, very positively. Now, why would I share this with you? Why do I speak this way this morning? Well, in what can only be described, I think, as God's determination to use what is foolish in the world to shame the wise and what is weak in the world to shame the powerful. He, I think, appears to be using Church of the Atonement and World Witness, which is the mission's arm of our small denomination, as catalysts to this movement. This isn't anything that was dreamed up by someone here wasn't anything that was sought for years and years. It's something that really has come to us. And I hope that in humility and in fear before the Lord, we as a church, individual members of the church, as well as the church as a whole, really will not be afraid to own this, to own it. The gospel has yet to advance through people who are willing to take credit for the advance. The gospel only advances through people who are willing to suffer for it and to sacrifice for it. Now, this morning's text can undergird it, but it's work. And I just invite you individually, judge for yourselves as we go through this, whether it speaks to what, what we're now experiencing, what I'm now seeking to describe to you. I want to focus on verses 14 to 16, which are the heart of the passage. And I want you to notice how Verse 16 begins with the word and. If you have your Bibles there, open them to and. And this is because Jesus is linking two ideas. Now, either one of these ideas could stand on their own. I mean, they're very big ideas. But Jesus links them together. 
And the first of these ideas is Jesus' communion, his fellowship with his sheep, his relationship to his sheep, and his fierce determination at all costs to be our faithful shepherd. And I hope that as, as we hear these words again this morning, that you'll take them personally to heart, because that's, that's what's meant. That's what's intended. But the second idea is Jesus' equal, equally profound and fierce determination to be the shepherd, that same shepherd, other sheep, whom he loves and cares for just as much, those who are not present when he spoke those words. So this is what he said. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as, uh, uh, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for my sheep. And, verse 16, I have other sheep, other sheep besides you who are hearing this, you to whom I'm speaking. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock. There will be one shepherd. Jesus is laying it down for people who ethnically, historically, in their Judaism, tended to view themselves in a very elitist way. No, there will be one flock, not your flock and another flock, with you number one. Uh-uh. There will be one flock, there will be one shepherd. So Jesus first focuses here on our communion with Christ. And by our communion, I am talking about those whom he's already called to be his own. And he uses the figure of the shepherd to describe to describe this fellowship when he says, I know my own and my own know me. The, the point of this is, and it's so touching in all John's writing, what's emphasized here is that the relationship between Jesus Christ and you, if you believe in him, if you trust him, that relationship between Christ and you can only be described as interpersonal, as intimate, as intense, and as unbreakable. As unbreakable as the resolve of the shepherd. And Jesus is the good shepherd. He is not a hireling. He's not going to flee from us. He's not going to abandon us. He's not going to allow us simply to wander off on our own without coming and gathering us back again. In fact, he says, I lay down my life for my sheep and then I take it up again for them. I will lay my, my life down for them, but then I will come back to you. I am your good shepherd. So for Jesus, being the good shepherd, this unbreakable relationship, this unbreakable commitment, which rests on the shepherd, not on the sheep, means an eternal commitment. It's not only a relationship that we have with Christ that goes beyond the grave. It's a relationship with Christ and Him, His relating to us, the relationship with us that goes beyond the end of the world. Jesus calls Himself then the Good Shepherd. But the reality is so much greater than the analogy. Because after saying this, He adds this. He adds this qualifier. When he says, I know my own and my own know me, he says this, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. I know my sheep and my sheep knows me. Just as, just as the Father knows me 
and I know the Father. And the question has got really, does Jesus really mean what he's saying here? The parallelism, what it suggests. That Jesus knows the sheep just as the Father knows him. This is a relationship of priority. Jesus knows his sheep like the Father knows him. It's the same knowledge. And what's more, that his sheep know him just as he knows the Father. Is that, does he know what he's saying? And of course, Jesus knew exactly what he was saying. He was talking about the deepest possible communion, the deepest possible knowing of each other, the deepest and most complete possible access to one another. That is what's in store for you, Christian, and your relationship with Christ. As Paul put it in 1 Corinthians 13, you know, that day is coming when you will know him fully just as you have been fully known. Now we could stop right there. We could be all caught up in wonder at what God, at how God wants us to know him as fully as he knows us. He wants us to know him. He wants us to know him. But Jesus does not stop there, and he does not want us to stop there. He goes on, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold, and I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd, and for this reason I do lay down my life that I may take it up again. And when Jesus speaks here of having other sheep that are not of this fold, what he means by this fold, what he's referring to by this fold, is the fold of Israel. Every nation of the world has its own, is its own fold. For ev from every nation, from every fold, Jesus is calling his own to be part of his flock. To be part of the one fold, the one flock of which he is the one shepherd. He is creating a new people. He is creating a nation from the nations. And it is called the church. So Jesus' sheep from the American fold and his sheep from the Pakistani fold, they are one, they are one flock together with one shepherd. And those sheep from, from the American fold are in no way superior to those sheep in the Pakistani fold. They're in no way preferred to the sheep in the Pakistani fold, even if they were called first. The fold that we come from does not matter. It's the fold that we have been called to that matters. And what matters is that he has called us out from those folds of the nations into his fold to be his flock. And then before all the nations of the world, before all of those folds from which he has drawn his sheep, we are to show by how we live that this also is what really matters to us, that we together are of his fold. And we demonstrate that this is what matters to us. Not the fold we are from, but the fold we've been called into, Christ's fold. We demonstrate that by how we relate to Christ and how we relate to each other, how we love and how we serve. The distinctions that we naturally rely on as human beings for our identity and, and our pride, distinctions of geography or ethnicity or nationality or language or history or wealth are not what matters. It's Christ that matters. 
And the new creation is begun in the church. That's what matters. That's what matters to Christ foremost. And it's to be our priority as well. Now, it's interesting here, and I want you to note with me, that how Jesus spoke in the future tense when he said this, so there will be one flock, one shepherd. There will be. Well, what does that mean? When will there be one flock and one shepherd? And the answer is that that when began as soon as the Lord started calling to himself his sheep from the Gentile folds of the nations of the world beyond the Jewish fold. The answer to when, when, is now. It's not when Jesus returns. It is now. And the Lord wants us to live like it. This oneness, this unity under Christ the shepherd is not something hidden. It's not to be hidden. It can't be hidden. Not what he's talking about. It's a visible unity now that persuades the world that Jesus really is the Christ. That Christ really is real. That he is actually among these people in the way they love each other, serve each other, in the way they live their lives, the way they conduct themselves, and the way they relate to outsiders. It, it's, it's unity seen in our coming together. In our coming together to worship and to serve Christ. That there is on the face of this earth a nation which defies and ignores the distinctions that divide everyone else. Now in John 10, Jesus was sharing his heart with his disciples. With his disciples. But in John 17, seven chapters later, he shares his heart again. And it is the same heart, but he shares his heart with God in prayer, what's known as the high priestly prayer. And there he says much the same thing. As he refers to his disciples who are with him, whom he's praying in front of, he says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Jesus very clearly was praying in relation to the present age that the world may believe that you have sent me, not post this age. So the answer to the when we're one, and to display this visible unity, a true unity of heart and life, not just not institutional unity, not formal, but true unity with others, is actually now. The question is, how do we do that? How do we do that? We have people all over the world who are Christians. The question is, how do we how do we actually do that? And my answer for you this morning is. This takes place as Christ's more established church serves the church that he is just now calling out and raising up from other sheepfolds. My answer is to how this happens. It is as the stronger serves the weaker. It is as the more protected serves the more persecuted. Everywhere in the world, 
everywhere in the world where the church is being planted, where the church is just being raised up, on the frontiers of Christendom, if you will, everywhere the church is being planted, the church is being persecuted. Everywhere the church is being raised up by the Spirit of Christ, the church is under oppression. Everywhere. Everywhere. And it's especially on the frontiers of the church that you find, it's there that you find the church filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction to save the world. Remember how Paul said, I'm filling up what's lacking in Christ's affliction when he wrote the Colossians? Of course, on the cross, Jesus atoned for all of our sins. His atoning sacrifice was sufficient then for all. The atonement was completed. But the world's rejection of Christ was not completed. The world's persecution of Christ was not completed. And when the world persecutes the church, and in its rejection and oppression of the church, it is rejecting and persecuting and oppressing Christ. And so... Jesus said to Paul on the Saul on the road to Damascus, why are you persecuting me? Christ is with these people in the emerging church. And he calls us to be with him. Let me share what we're finding from among the new Christian leaders in Pakistan. Brothers and sisters who reject any pity from the Western Church. They are not helpless victims. They are resolute believers. And when they suffer for being Christians, they will tell you that it is their honor. And if you look at them and you say of them, well, they are poor, it's because of what has been taken from them for the sake of Christ. If you look at them and you say they do not have the education that we have, it's because they have been denied the opportunity to get an education because of Christ. If you look at them and you say they do not have power like we have power in society, it is because some of the most basic human rights are withheld from them because of Christ. They know Christ loves them. And they know Christ. And they are not looking to us for relief. They are not interested in being dependent on what we might send them. What they are looking for is like-minded brothers and sisters to come alongside them as advocates in the midst of their persecution and as partners in the work that Christ is calling them to do. And they are willing to be those witnesses at the risk of their lives. And they are being those witnesses at the risk of their lives. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. When the answer is now, how? As Christ's more established church serves the church that he's just now calling and raising up. It's a persecuted church. It's a suffering church. And not a helpless victim. These are resolute Christians. They're being tested constantly. 
Now, this may not be the whole answer to the question of how this unity is demonstrated, but I do believe that it is an essential part of the answer. And I would say to you this morning that Pac-7 is an expression of that. It is a coalition of the weak and the foolish here and the weak and the foolish there, asking Christ to use them to accomplish what only he can accomplish. And not only asking him to accomplish this, but they're also willing to sacrifice so that it happens. To build up the church. To build up the church and strengthen it. To confer legitimacy on Christians and the church before a hundred and before two hundred million Muslims who are completely unreached. To open hearts to Christ and have the potential to catalyze an underground house church movement, which I will not be publishing on the web. And this will happen, God willing, to the positive presentation of who Jesus is, what Christians are like, and what they really do believe, and how Christians live. That's how it will happen. And so... What I'm asking you today, as I share with you, is to, is to own the vision. Not be intimidated by the size of it or the scope of it. Or the fact that we are nothing, because we are nothing. But to believe that God delights to use what is foolish and weak and powerless to shame the wise and the strong and the powerful of this world. And to believe that Christ has many in this fold of over 200 million people that he will be calling to himself. Thank you for listening. I appreciate your prayers and your thoughtfulness on this. And I always appreciate your feedback. And I would invite you to join with me in prayer. Father, it's very good to be with my family and to worship you and to pray together. And uh, I thank you for what you're doing. I mean, it's clearly you. Coalition from three continents now, binding themselves together, building trust, relationships of respect and mutual regard. Lord, I pray that uh, that you would raise up Paxhead. Uh, that this new missions paradigm that has worked, that you've blessed so richly across the Middle East and North Africa, could be extended to, to Pakistan. Lord, even as I uh, pray for this, I'm mindful that the same effort is now underway to do the same thing in China to launch there because the house church movement which is well established needs it. They need it. Lord, our lives and our times are in your hands. We have no desire to be presumptuous at all. But we are very pleased uh, to love you uh, and to serve you. 
and to get out of our fold uh, and realize that we're part of a much greater fold and to live like it. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.